Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to look at your scriptures and to see what you'd have us to see from them. And we ask that you bless this time in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Leviticus 16, we're going to be looking at the Day of Atonement. This is the first reference that we're going to have to the Day of Atonement. There'll be many more as we go through Leviticus and the rest of the books. I think if we open that door, it'd be a little Okay, we can open both doors if we want. Get a cross for you. Yeah. I'll do it. So, sometimes the breeze works good for us, so. Yeah, do you feel that? Yeah, I can feel some already. Get that one open, it'll get a nice. All right, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron, thy brother, that he come not at at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat which is upon the ark and he die not for I will appear in a cloud upon the mercy seat thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering and he shall put on his on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and he shall be girded with the linen girdle and with the linen mitre or that shall he be attired these are the holy garments therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on so we're going to stop there for just a moment okay so we start out with Moses is talking to Aaron after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered before the Lord and died they have the ones that have made their own ceremony and God killed them very good that was in that was in Leviticus chapter 10 the very first day of when they didn't follow the rules, they did their own thing, they offered strange fires, it says in the, in the King James, or unauthorized fire, as we as it actually means. And yes, that's, that's exactly the event that it happened there. And this was six chapters ago. We've had a lot happen since that to, to this chapter. And, we, and it says, Speaking to Moses, your brother, that he not come at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the altar, that he die not. As we look at this, Moses seems to have had the ability to go to God whenever he wanted to. He did not have the restriction of not going to God. Even as they're building the tabernacle, it appears that he still did not have that restriction. And as we go forward, it looks like he doesn't have that restriction. But he's told he's to tell Aaron, you're not to go in all the time. Okay, so this is a big difference. And Moses had a special relationship with God. Just like Abraham had, just like uh, Adam and Eve had, Abraham had. Moses had this ability to go before God. I think he was had a little bit more with God than they did. Though. I and think he was I think he had more than Abraham did. Probably more than Abraham. Abraham had visits from God, and who knows if those are the only ones he ever had. But Moses, did, I would agree with that. I'm not going to argue that one at all, because Moses is with God all the time. It seems like every chapter starts that God's talking to Moses. Yeah. In Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Now, the book I'm reading that I got from Pastor Lori about the 60 days of the Bible, well, I think I'm up to Deuteronomy. It, 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 oh, no, I'm up to after. It says that uh, it tells you which books were which started with God speaking, which 
books they don't know how to author. Very interesting. I'd like you to read it when I'm done with it. I think okay. they'll enjoy it. Yeah. What's the name of it? It's called the 66. It's about the, it's an overview of the 66 books of the Bible. Something like the adventure, adventure sixty six or something they call it. So yeah, it's told me that the unique journey through the sixty six books of the Bible. Yeah, and it's an overview of the Bible, and it's a good. It's good to know what the books of the Bible are about. I mean, it's. I think it's important. That's one of the reasons we're going to go through. Eventually, if I stay long enough, and we all stay alive long enough, we'll go through all sixty six books of the Bible and start over again. So, um, but. In this case, you're right. I mean, hey, Moses had this relationship with God, and he went on the mountaintop, the Mount Sinai, spent 40 days with him, came back down, broke the tablets, and immediately had to go back up and spend another 40 days with him. And you remember, he said, "God, I want to see your, I want to see you face to face." And God says, "You, you can't see my face, but I'll let you see my back parts." And who knows what he actually saw? And remember, he was put into the cleft of the rock, and God placed his hand or somehow obscured his vision until he walked by. Uh, so Moses did have a special relationship, and this is what I'm bringing out, is he apparently could go into the tabernacle anytime he wanted, and he could go into the Holy of Holies. I see that all the way through Numbers and, and Deuteronomy as well, that he had this ability to, God said, you can come visit me. He had the ability, like we do because of Jesus Christ, to come into the Holy of Holies and be face-to-face -face with God. And... And in one sense, he had it even more because he actually was there. He saw whatever glory he saw, and amazing that he's, you know, amazing relationship that Moses had with God. But he's coming now, and God says, Tell Aaron he doesn't have this same, same relationship. Now, why did, now, I forgot since, I forgot since Exodus. How did Aaron get made the head priest? Uh, God chose him. Just, it was, and yeah. he was a Levite. He was a Levite. He was in the Levite, same family as Moses, and it might have been it might have been Moses having some input on that, saying, "I'm gonna I'm gonna lead the people physically and you know and governmentally, and my and my brother's gonna lead them spiritually." Uh, and it doesn't really tell us exactly how. I believe God would have had input on that as well, uh, but it might have been just as simple because a lot of people, a lot of pastors will try. You know, if they've been in a church for a long, long time will usually groom their, their successor. And, you know, a lot of times they'll pick one of their own children if they're called to God to be a pastor, and they'll groom that child to that son to take over, or they'll groom a man in the church to to be taken over. Because usually you kind of get this feeling of my days are, numbered. are getting numbered. I'm getting too tired. I'm getting older. I need to make plans for, you know, my next the next person taking over. Uh, so a lot of times pastors will groom somebody to take over if they if they've been long-term pastors, you know. But unfortunately, his, most pastors don't last more than three to five years in any one church. And well, do you have plans on leaving? Not me. Oh good. I'm going to be here in three to five God, years. God will have to speak very clearly to me that it's time for me to leave if I'm going to leave. So. I've had people ask me, would you, if you had a chance to go to a church that gave, you know, where you could be paid more, would you do it? I'm going, God would have to tell me because God put, God told me I'd be in this church the very first time I taught, I covered for Pastor, for, for Pastor Gary, and I didn't have any thought that he was going to leave. You know, that was three years before he, he even left, and so I knew where I was going to be, where God had called me to be pastor. So until God tells me clearly that 
this is not going to be my church. I plan to be here. Uh, unless everybody gets tired of me and kicks me out, but I plan to be here for as long as God tells me to be here. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> so you better get to make up your mind. You do a so we look at this and Aaron was not allowed to go in behind the veil and that's the Holy of Holies that's where the Ark of the Covenant is where the mercy seat is what's another name for the mercy seat no that's the other seat that's where Jesus will, will judge it was the Roman 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 courts the seat of Propitiation. There you go. All right. So he, Aaron, could not go into the Holy of Holies whenever he wanted, and we're going to look at the one time a year that he was allowed to go in, and this is what this chapter is about. And it says, "Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for the burnt offering." What's the value of the sin offering? The value. What What is it? What does it represent? I'm working on a handout so you guys can remember this stuff. So, I'm to remember propitiation. That's where God's wrath oh, was solved. Settled. I was just looking it up too. <laughs> What's the burnt offering? It's voluntary. It's a voluntary offering. I thought that was the free offering. A free? Well, it's a free will voluntary offering. You, you you could do it or not do it, except in certain cases where they say it has to be done. That's yeah. the burnt offering. Free okay. Will, free will offering. And, uh, well, it is a free will offering. It's a voluntary. It's total dedication. It's a symbol of total dedication to God. All right. We're going to keep, remember, keep reminding you. I, you I'm, tell me enough times I'll remember. I've got, I've got my old notes. I'm in the process of typing them out, and we'll use it as a handout for everybody so you'll be able to remember these offerings easier. I'm trying to do the lineage. <laughs> and the burnt offering is totally Except the skin. The burnt offering was totally burnt up, except, except for the skin. skin. And who got the skin? The priest. The priest. All right. For clothing. Or whatever you wanted to use it for. Okay. And he shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and he shall be girded with the linen girder, girdle, and the linen miter. Shall he be attired? These holy garments thereof shall he... These are holy garments, therefore he shall wash his flesh with water and put them on. So he's got to take a bath in water. Water represents what? Cleansing. Cleansing or, okay, the word of God which cleanses us. And it's a figurative way that he's cleansing himself to prepare himself for service. And these, if you remember, we spent a long time in, in Exodus in talking world. about these uh, linen garments and the breastplate and the, the miter and... And the handout that we gave you. Uh, so this is this is now his second time that he's being told he's going to be using these things. What was the first time? When his sons died. When his sons went a little crazy and offered the things their own way on the first day of service. Okay, and he was decked out completely, and this is going to be the second time he's going to be decked out is during this this feast. All right, and you verse five, and you shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering and the and Aaron shall offer the bullock of sin offering which is for himself and make an atonement for himself and his house and he shall take the two 
goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one for the Lord and one for, and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat before the, upon the Lord, which the Lord's lot fell and offer him as a sin sacrifice offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be a scapegoat shall be preserved alive before the Lord to make an atonement for him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. So let's look a little bit about this. We're getting into the actual practice of the Day of Atonement. So first, Aaron had to offer a sacrifice for himself. And that's going to be the, the, the sin offering of the bullock. And he has to offer it for himself and for his children, his family, uh, which would be the Levites, those that are serving God. So the first sacrifice is for the priests. Okay? And this atonement was to be made. And then he was to take the two goats. And remember, they've talked about there's three animals for the people. Two goats for the sin offering and the scapegoat. And they're going to be presented before God and they're going to cast lots. And we've talked a little bit about casting lots. It's, like it's dice, some right? form of dice or dropping of pebbles and watching the way they land. Uh, and we don't know completely what it was involved, but it was a way they determined which one, in this case, it might even be kind of a toss of a coin, you know, heads it's this lamb or tails it's this lamb. I mean, uh, we don't know exactly how, or straw, I mean, who knows, anything that randomized the, the event. And it, the actual word for, for lots was pebbles. So we don't know whether they were dice, you know, dice-shaped things, you know, with multiple sides, you know, a yes and a no, or dark and light uh, for yes and no. But somehow they would determine which goat was going to be killed and which goat would be the scapegoat. Is that where we get the term scapegoat from? It comes straight out of this, yes. It comes straight out of, the, out of the, this, this particular event. And the scapegoat, we're going to see later on, will have the hand placed on and all the sins would be placed upon the scapegoat and it would be driven out of the camp into the wilderness. And the other goat dies for the sin. And this is... This is where we're going to look at. They cast these lots, and Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's, Lord's lot fell, and shall offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which he fell, the scapegoat, shall be presented alive before the Lord, and make an atonement, and let him go into the wilderness. So here's a big process. This is a big deal. They're standing up front. They're determining which goat's going to be the sacrifice, and which goat will be left alive uh, and sent away with the symbolic carrying away of the people's sins. And in verse 11, And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and he shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock for the sin offering, which is made for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hand full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. So, okay, he's going to get the chance to do this the right way. The fire that the ch that his sons did was lit somehow by themselves. It wasn't taken from the altar. And remember, we talked during that period of time that the altar was to be a perpetual fire. Mm -hmm. They would bank it up. If they were going to stay in the same place, they banked it up on the side and, and kept it hot, and then they would pull it back out and, and give it a little bit of bellows on it and get the get the fire kicked back in and when they traveled they had to carry it in a pot of some sort and they carried the fire 
And for years, the Bedouins did that kind of thing. When they carried, when they moved their camps, they carried their fire from camp to camp because it was very hard to start fires. Uh, you know, some people get good with flints, and then they wouldn't worry about starting a fire. You know, they just start a fire. But it's if you've ever tried to start a fire using flint, it's not an easy job. You have to be very good at it. And it's easier to, once you've got the fire, just carry, <laughs> carry the, the embers to the next location and just make sure the embers stay, stay hot. And that's what they were supposed to do. This, the altar's fire was to be perpetual. So when they get the temple built and they put the fire in there, then they're just going to keep it banked forever they're never, because they're never going to have to move it. So they just keep it banked and, and, and running. Uh, so he's to, get, he's to get these coals out of the out of the altar, and he's to take the sweet-smelling incense. And what did we say the incense were back when we studied the incense? A sweet-savor. Sweet-savor to God. And what does it represent? Pleasing to God. Pleasing to God represents prayers. It represents prayers before God. Unless, unless you complain all the time to God, God's not going to want to hear you. <laughs> he, still, but he still wants to hear us. <laughs> He would rather hear adoration and thanksgiving and, and confession, but uh, he'll take whatever he can get from us. If it's just grumbling and griping, he'll, the one, one that we want to grumble and gripe to will be God. He's the only one that can do something about it. Yeah. In my prayers, I pray for God to give me the faith of Job and the wisdom of Solomon. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's a good prayer. I pray that I need. Crucified and live the, the world, the Lord's will. That's a good prayer, too. I see that every morning. Yep. All right, so he was to carry this, and he was should put the incense on, and he was to take this within the veil, and he, he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat, and that is upon the testimony that he die not. So he was to make it cloudy in there. You know, it's kind of kind of a funny thing. Uh, these must have been powerful incense uh, when thrown on the uh, on the uh, embers to really create a lot of smoke. Oh, didn't God always appear behind the cloud? He he usually gave a lot of cloud or or glory of some sort. He he stayed behind, and because this is understood that God seems to have actually came down to the mercy seat when he would come and receive the sacrifice. Especially when Moses went in, he talks all the time about the glory of God falling upon the mercy seat. And so this cloud of incense was to basically cover the incense, uh, cover the mercy seat. And he shall take the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it on, with his fingers upon the mercy seat on the east. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle the blood of the... Uh, with his fingers seven times. So this is not using hyssop. This is using his fingers. And seven is completion, right? Seven is the number for completion. Now, it's done in the eastward. And I did some research on this because eastward kind of was, I was wondering about this. And I read in there that the Jews of that day, the Jews during that time were the only people that faced their temple entrance eastward. All the other gods that were worshipped faced west toward a setting sun, and they went east toward a rising sun. And it's kind of an intriguing thing. I'm not sure what the full significance is about that. Uh, 
but it was a slightly different setup. It was, you know, they were different from the rest of the people, and they would align their they would align their tabernacles to be facing toward an east, and not necessarily directly east. It was toward the, it really was toward the sun, and with the degrees difference, they said it would either be set northwest, uh, northeast, or southeast, depending on what time of the year it was, and. Uh, and it was said that Solomon's temple was oriented the same way. And so I have no way to prove that, but I read it in multiple, multiple sources, including a couple of the, the Jewish uh, sites that uh, said the same thing. And so there's some significance in there. And I, if I ever find it, I'll let you all know. But there seems to be some significance with East. And David speaks a lot up. of the East. The sun coming up, maybe? But it's I don't understand that because they don't worship the sun or anything, so I don't. But it is it is taught that Jesus will come from the east, that the, that God comes from the east. I mean, it's it's an amazing, amazing thing. And then there gets into all their mythology about the other directions, which we're not going to get into. But Jews have a particular you pray in different directions, whether you want wealth or happiness or or health, uh, health, wealth, or happiness, depending on what you want, you pray in a different direction. Uh, and I don't want to get into that kind of stuff because that gets into very mystical stuff. There's a lot of mystical stuff that the Jews practice. And um, so he, he brings the blood in, his, the blood for his sins he's bringing in first. And then he shall kill the goat. So he's going back out. Now he's going to kill the goat for the sin offering for the people. And he's going to bring the blood within the veil and and do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before, and before the mercy seat. So he's going in behind the veil twice. And this is something I had never really caught. And actually, it sounds more like three times. He went in the first time with the incense. Then he goes out and he gets the blood from the bullock. And he goes back in with the blood for him and his sons or his family. Then he goes back out again. <laughs> And he goes back in with the blood for the goat, uh, for the people from the goat. And I had never noticed this until I was really tearing this apart, you know, three entries in during the, for the, for the Day of Atonement. Oh, you know, well, well, he did make three entries. And this is what it's saying right here. Yeah, it's what it's saying right here. He went in with the prayers, what represents the prayers, and he went in the blood with, for himself, and he went in with the blood for the people. And so this is kind of an interesting thing I never noticed before. And that he sprinkles the blood upon the mercy seat in front of the mercy seat. And uh, verse 16, And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remain among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. And this is something interesting here in verse 17. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goes in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. This verse says that the people weren't even allowed to come into the area of the tabernacle during this particular time. Again, this is something I have never noticed before, but Aaron was to go in alone for this sacrifice. Very much a picture of Jesus going to the cross alone for us and bearing his blood to the Father alone for us and being rejected alone. 
You know, this is a picture of Jesus. He's alone. And here we are with the people. They are told that they cannot come into the tabernacle during this sacrifice. And uh, it was a very interesting thing. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for, for it. And shall take the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar around about. And remember, that's the, the brass altar. It has horns on each, on the four corners. And he was to put the blood on the, on the corners of the altar and to, to bring atonement. So he's putting it on the mercy seat and he's putting it on the altar. Huh? The horns? The horns of the altar. And he shall sprinkle the blood upon it with, on his fingers seven times and cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. We see this term, uncleanness of Israel. This, this offering is going to be made one time a year. Okay? One time a year the atonement offering is made, the Day of Atonement. That's the one day my husband went to temple. Went to temple? It's a, it's a major day. It's a major day. Even today for Jews it's a major day, even though there's no sacrifice. But that's only David really went to the temple. Mm -hmm. was, for this, was for this feast. But uh, if you talk to Jews today about how do they get forgiveness, they talk about doing good works. Doing good works, doing good things. Uh, and they know that they needed the Day of Atonement, the shedding of blood, in that image of shedding of blood. Uh, but because there is no temple, no tabernacle, they will talk about doing good works because they have to have some way to be forgiven. And so they'll they'll use that as their as how they're how they're forgiven today. Verse 20. And when he has made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat, and Aaron shall place both his hands on the, upon the head of the live goat and confess over over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions with in all their sins putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities into the land not inhabited and he shall be let go in the, of the goat in the wilderness. So here we have this picture of their sins being put on something else. Picture of how our sins were put on Jesus. And it doesn't really tell us how Aaron would know all the sins of the people. I have a feeling that he probably would just go through the 613 laws and knowing that somebody probably broke every single one of them and just spoke them over the over the over this saying God forgive us for the for the breaking of the 613 laws and he put all of their sin upon this goat figuratively it didn't actually literally happen it's a picture of what Jesus was going to do and then it says they gave it gave the goat in the hand of a man who was to take it out into the wilderness and once it got out in the wilderness it was to be let go and showing how our sins were separated from us from the camp from the people it was taken outside Jesus bore our sins it says God separated them as far as the east is from the west so God really took them a long ways. He, he took them. He didn't even go to a wilderness where somebody might be able to someday find the goat. But he took them completely away from any from anything. 
And this goat shall bear their iniquities into the land not inhabited, and he shall let go of the wilderness. Verse 23, And Aaron shall come upon, come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments which, which he put on when he went into the holy place and leave them there. He shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for his people. So we had the sin offering being dealt with. After all that's done, he's going to take off the high priest's garments and put on his work daily working clothes with the ephod and, and, and those things. He's going to change. He's, again, he's going to wash with water after, after, he's, after he's accomplished the sin offering. And he goes in and he, gets, and he makes the offering for the burnt offering, the dedication offering. Now that he's been gone through the propitiation, he's acceptable, he gets to now go in and say, okay, now I'm going to be totally dedicated. And he shall come forth with and offer the burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering shall he burn upon the altar. And he that let go of the goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and afterward come into the camp. And the bullock of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement of the holy place shall one carry forth without the camp and they shall burn it in, in the fire, their skins and their flesh and their dung. So everything that's not kept is being sent out with the sin offering. Okay? And remember all they really burnt for the sin offering and the trespass offering was the fat and the organs. And that was offered before God. And in the, in the sin offering, the rest of it's taken out. Remember in the trespass offering, they get to, the priests get to eat part of it. But not so with the sin offering. And uh, it says, that he, and they, they take the carcasses out and they burn them outside completely. And partially on that, I think, is it's hard for us to imagine. We've talked about this last time when we talked about the sacrifices. Burning meat does not smell good. Yet God says that it's a sweet savor to him. And I believe it's a sweet savor to him because he knows what it represents. It represents the cleansing of our sins and the fact that they were honoring him as he told them to do. So even though there was a stench and a harsh stench from the burning of the meat, God said, I will take pleasure in it. I will take pleasure in it for what it represents. But for us, you know, Burning flesh does not smell good. Uh, it's bad enough if you burn your meat in a pot. You know, it, it doesn't smell good. But if you actually put flame to meat, you know, it does not smell good when it's burnt. And this is what God is saying, that it's a sweet savor to him. They're offering that sin offering. They're offering the burnt offering before him. And then verse 29, And this shall be a statute forever unto you, in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourns among you. So on the seventh month of the tenth, and the tenth day of that month, they were to afflict themselves. This is the only one of the feasts that God's going to have them celebrate each year that he says he wants them to afflict themselves. All the other ones are considered joyful times. But he says, I want you to afflict yourself. This is a solemn occasion. It's solemn because their sins are being taken away, which should be joyful, but he wants them to get into the point where they're realizing 
the solemnness of this fest, this festival or feast or whatever you want to call it, sacrifice, it's really not a festival because, and even to this day, the Day of Atonement is a day of affliction there to, to th think about the sins that they've committed and, the, and how much they've broken God's laws and not work. This is a day off for the, for the Jews and they are to do nothing. It's a Sabbath day and this one is a very solemn one. They're to take their, their offering up and, and they couldn't go inside the tabernacle and they were to reflect on the seriousness of having their sins removed. Much the same way when we practice communion, we're to reflect on the cost of our forgiveness. Jesus paid with the body and body that was broken and took our penalties, the blood that he shed for us. All of this was to be brought up and the communion is a solemn event. It's not a, you know, it is not a feasting, <laughs> joyful event because if you, I, I, you'll, I, you'll notice that I keep bringing up Take time to confess your sins. Take time to reflect on what God has done, which is why I cover each time we do it, the seriousness of what Jesus did, because it is a serious event. It really is a, it is almost for us the day of atonement. It's that idea of this forgiveness cost. Okay, in their case, it cost animals, but it was a reflection of what Jesus would do. And it's that reflection of that. And it says in verse 31, And it shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and you shall afflict your souls by statute forever. So this is one of the, what's called a high Sabbath uh, in the Jewish tradition. Every Saturday is a Sabbath day. And then they had the high Sabbaths, and each one of the feasts will be a high Sabbath day. It's another day that you couldn't work, and it was to be treated just like any other Sabbath, but except that you have these festival activities or ritual activities attached to it. And this is when I talked about Jesus not dying on Good Friday because he died on the day before a high Sabbath, the Passover. And not a Friday because they don't, they, the original people that come up with the idea of Good Friday and the Sabbath, they did not study the Old Testament close enough to know that Passover was a Sabbath. No matter what day it fell on, it was a Sabbath. So they either had two Sabbaths in a row if it was Friday, Saturday, and he died on Thursday, or as I really believe he died on Wednesday, he had those the Thursday being Passover and being the Sabbath day. Nobody wanting to, to become unclean on, on Friday, Sabbath day on Saturday, and then going to the tomb on Sunday. Um, but this is where we get this idea that there's other Sabbaths out there. And many Christians don't realize this. You know, many scholars didn't realize, especially the ancient scholars that were in the 1400s that never really got into the Old Testament that much. And this is why we lose so much. If we don't know the Old Testament, we lose a lot of knowledge about who Jesus is, what he did. And when the apostles talk about things from the Old Testament, how rich it means to them if we don't get into the Old Testament to study and say, this is what's it, what's it, what it's all about. You know, for Christians, we think of Pentecost, and the only thing we think about as Christians for Pentecost usually is the Holy Spirit came down and and you know filled filled the disciples. But Pentecost was a 
very important day in the Jewish calendar. And it was 50 days after Passover. And it was the, the ingathering of fruit. And, and they're so very important for us to see how, what it is. And Pentecost was one of those days that God told the Jews, you're to gather every man before me on three feasts. Day of Atonement, Passover, and Pentecost. The other two feasts were come if you want, but you didn't have to. Now they followed right at one right after the other. So if you were, if you were there for, for, for Passover, you might as well stay because yeah, first Passover Pentecost. Pentecost. You might as well stay because you would have Passover, and then you had the um, Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which would go from Passover until the next Sabbath day was complete. And then on the Sunday after that, you had first fruits. So you had three feasts, three celebrations right in a row. And so it was very important, you know, and those were the other two feasts, the first fruits and, and um, unleavened bread. And so the people would gather up for these feasts. And it says, verse 32, And the priest whom he shall anoint and whom he shall consecrate to minister to, in the priest's office in his father's stead shall make the atonement and shall put on the linen clothes and even the holy garments. And he shall make the atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the congregation. So every year there was an atonement for the sanctuary, the altar, the holy of holies, the, the priests, and the people. So this is a special day. This is a day that brings atonement. And atonement, as we've talked about, is that making the people one with God. And we've talked about the easy way to remember it is at one mint. It simplifies it a little more than it should be. But if you can remember at one mint, I'll be more than happy because it really is the, the complexity of it is something you learn to, to learn about God becoming one with us and being made one with us and the, and the reasons that he was made one with us. But if you can remember the tone that means to be made one with, that is, that's a good start. That's more than most people will ever remember. And he's to make atonement for the holy sanctuary, the holy place, the, the altar, because over time, because they are made out of this world's stuff, they were touched by this world's people, they would be defiled. Even though they were sanctified and they would be, all these rules they were to follow, they were still unrighteous people touching things. And once a year they went through the whole process of saying, we are gonna sanctify everything, we're gonna make it one, we're gonna make it one with God and make it so that it is, it is back to being perfect. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded. Now remember, we're still at Mount Sinai during the book of Leviticus. And who remembers how long they stayed at Mount Sinai? 40 years. No, nope, not at Mount Sinai. They were in the desert for 40 years. Three months. More than three months. Seven months. More than seven months. Nine months. One year they were in Sin at Sinai. That's fine. You'd have gotten it eventually. <laughs> For one year, they camped out at Sinai. 
Well, God gave them the laws. God gave them the ways to show them how to do this. They built the tabernacle. They got the instructions for the tabernacle. This tabernacle wasn't built in just a couple of days. This, this tabernacle took a while to build. And all that time, Moses is teaching them how to follow and obey God. And Leviticus is part of what he's teaching. And you're going to find that Leviticus takes practically no time. If you look, I can't remember what it was, but I think Leviticus, the bo whole book of Leviticus is a month or two months. One month, yeah. Okay, okay yeah, I, re I remember, I, I wanted to say one month, yeah, and I, and, I, and I think I mentioned it way back when we first started it. You know, it's a very short period of time. You know, Exodus covers an entire year. The book of Leviticus is one month of time giving the Jews, this is how you do things. This is how you worship. And most of this is being taught to the Levites. This is what you all are responsible for. This is how you're going to serve the Lord. And it's going to be a very quick place. The book of Numbers will cover 39 years because that's all the wanderings in the, in the wilderness. And, they, and it's just a few months, a month or so, or they get to the land and they, they send the spies in and then they believe the spies that are going to be destroyed and then God says, okay, I'm going to make you wander. And they wander for 39 years in the wilderness. And total of four, total of forty years in the wilderness, uh, and so all of this goes into the period of time we're looking at. You know, uh, and we talked back a while ago about the about the uh, plagues in Egypt. You know how quick they must have been. And my daughter pointed out something that they had to be less than a year because Moses was eighty. He was forty when he was sent to the people, and he was eighty when he one hundred and twenty when he died. He was 40 when he left. He was 80 when he returned. 40 years in the wilderness. The time in, in Egypt with the plagues had to have been rapid succession. Mm -hmm. Rapid succession because there's no time. Now we know there could be some rounding on these 40 40s. Uh, but we do know that they're 40 years in the wilderness. So Moses could have been 79 or 78 when he came in and they rounded it to 80. But still, we're looking at a very quick point of time for all those plagues to hit, hit the Egyptians. All right, we're going to close in prayer a little early, but I don't want to go into the next chapter with only a few minutes. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to look at the Day of Atonement and how special that is for the, for the picture of Jesus dying on the cross, for his sins being placed upon a scapegoat and removed. Lord, and how all of this shows Jesus. All of this shows how Jesus shed his blood and how each part of his blood covers the mercy seat, the incense, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the very altar itself that covered with his blood that would take away the sins of the world. And Lord, we thank you for your preciousness. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.